0: Hey y'all, this is All Your Things Are Gone. Uh, sorry for the wait, the delaying episode. Had some other, some crap going on, New Year's Eve and other shit. But, it's worth the wait. This week, promised a long time ago, uh, we had some more technical issues. Because anything I touch turns to shit. Uh, this is Gavin McCarthy from Karate. I'm sure most of you know, but also... Uh, At Telly's Attic Um, uh, It was great to talk to him He came by again He did this a while ago Last year Um, I think early last year He came back again A few months ago In um, in 2019 So It was great to talk to him and I appreciate him coming back Uh, Nice and Interesting guy This is All Your Things Are Gone
1: Well, where did you grow up? I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Really? I did, How did you end up here? Well, uh, college. Yeah. Yeah, so I moved here in 92, 1992. Were you playing music in Baltimore? I mean, I had high school bands. Yeah, well. But they were about as good as you would imagine, which is, to say, not particularly (laughs) good. But I guess, you know, when I was 16, I thought they were good. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I was in some pretty terrible bands. Was there is there one? Um, were there really bad names? Like was there one name that you in particular that you was like?
1: Um, what was the name? I, so I played in tenth grade. I was in a band with a bunch of seniors, who I thought were cool, but they led me astray and I broke edge. With no, when I started hanging out with these hippies, uh huh, and started listening to like Led Zeppelin and shit. Like which of course was, in hindsight, was a great idea, because, <laughs> you know, the misfits are only going to get you so far. you kidding me. I kind of a one-trick pony. So, uh, what was that band called? The band was called maybe The Underground or something like that? What was that band called? Anyway, so yeah, I mean, it was just regular high school band stuff. By the time I was in senior, so I sort of like went in high school and went from being like a straight-edge wannabe skinhead in ninth grade to like a hippie at the dead shows in ten, the 10th grade, where incidentally, I kept running into the punks I had been hanging out with a year before. What like, doing, what are, everyone's going like, what are you doing here? What excuse did they have for being- I think new... they were getting into acid. <laughs> 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 and uh, so then by 11th grade and 12th grade, I sort of went, sort of those seniors that I had been playing with, the hippies, mm-hmm. They had their influence had waned because they had left and I sort of started getting back into like punk and mud honey and, and shit like that yeah and that was about the time that, that shit was getting big anyway so it's becoming easier to to get your hands on musically
0: yep what year was this was this like the like next, or early or like 90s 1990s? 90 91 92
1: yeah. i graduated in high school in 92 and then uh hightailed it up here because at the time like my view of the city of baltimore was pretty negative it's like there's nobody here and Little did I know, there was a, sh- a lot of weirdos around. Well, haven't you heard? Baltimore's full of whatever. <laughs> oh, no yeah. It's like a rat infested shithole. <laughs> yeah, something. something like that. I mean, there was a lot of weirdos making music, and there were punk rock clubs when I was in Baltimore that I was aware of, but not allowed to go to. Mm-hmm. Either because my parents didn't want me to go or because they were like bars. Yeah. You know? So I moved up here in 92 thinking, oh, Boston, it's a city that people have heard of, you know, (laughs) there's going to be a lot of people there. It's going to be really populated. Then then you got here and you're like, what
0: the fuck is going
1: on? Well, I got here and I was, no, I was really into it. Yeah. I was, I was not really into college at first. Sure. I was never into college. I went. I went. Yeah. (laughs) Never into it. So I went to Boston University for a year and I was thinking, I'm just here to find a band. Like, that's what I'm doing in Boston mm-hmm. and of course it was you know wasting money on school and not doing well and getting pretty miserable and also playing in a band that was arguably at least as bad bad as any of my high school bands what was that band that band I don't I don't even recall the name we played like one gig mm. on like some like jock bar on Ken Kenmore square or something oh we played in this place called I don't know if it was in the building, it was a place called Narcissus in Kenmore Square. Mm-hmm. It's like a big dance club. Now it's an Uno's or whatever. <laughs> now, when it turned into Barnes and Noble, I think right. for a while, I think it was in that mm-hmm. place. I think it was called Narcissus. Anyway, it's just horrible, and I was miserable in that band. And but I did was sort of making friends with this guitar player kid who was in that band, and I was we were friendly with. But by the end of the summer. His interest in the band Fish was really starting to Woof. Was starting to starting to grate See, on me. I could do Dead. Dead. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: dead. The first three records are really good. I cannot handle Fish, no, and I, I no. live with a woman who loved Fish. Holy crap! Still,
1: it, still tours. It's not right. It's not right. <laughs> it really isn't. I mean, there's bad things in the world. Yeah. And there are, and there's fish. <laughs> That's just What incredible. what is
0: I mean what is it about that band that is so intoxicating for some
1: people? Well, I believe me I'm not going to spend any time really researching that question yeah, sure, because sure, sure. it's sure. I remember hearing like a fish song in the last 5 to 10 years. They were on TV actually. They were on TV because they were putting out they put out a new record. Mhm. And I remember the idea. I think I'd read about it, the idea is well, it's going to be more like a singer songwriter record or song songy record. And they were literally playing on one of those late night talk shows, yeah, Letterman or something like that. And the song it was horrible. It was bad. I was like, I was really like, maybe they're going to sound kind of good, like yeah. make a song that's not just totally idiotic and ridiculous. And uh, no it was it was just their version really. of it was just like it was more songy songy oriented and yeah. i associate them with a lot of like noodling and sure. weak guitar tones but, um,
0: <laughs> yeah like weird process like lots of compression on your guitar so it doesn't get too wild and like distorted
1: and then i remember basically their lyrical content was because just complete idiocy
0: oh it's it reads like a fucking like a dr seuss book or something yeah fuck that <laughs> Right? Yeah.
1: I mean, in that combination, I don't know, maybe there's other people who write like Dr. Seuss, but it, their music is cool. So, sure. so it works. I can't think of a band that, like that off the top of my head, uh, but yeah, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah. But anyway, so I was miserable playing with these guys. And then I was like, I gotta live in Boston for the summer because I gotta play music, mm-hmm. and that's my whole thing. And I was gonna move in with that dude, the fish guy, and then he's like, sorry, my mom won't let me live in Boston for the summer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'll see if I can handle this $300 a month rent wow. on my own. You know? It's just Damn. like, oh, holy shit, how am I going to do that? How am I going to do $300? <laughs> yeah. So I got to like... Where, where, where was this apartment? It was on um, Park Drive in okay. Fenway. Wow. $300? Something like that. It was sublet. Fuck. Yeah, it was fucking great. I mean, I was... I remember mo- I moved in, when I moved in, I was like, this is my own fucking apartment. <laughs> like, amazing. Yeah. And so I got this job that was n- I was not suited for, which was going door to door, knocking on people's doors, asking them to give me money for environmental causes. I always did that shit. And that's brutal and demoralizing. You got to have the right personality and the right front frame of mind to do that.
0: And in the early '90s, I guess you know, environmental issues were not as
1: oh, not like they are today. Yeah but still man I mean it's tough sell when someone comes to your door and asks you for money sure. regardless of if you're on board with the car. especially cause. if there's
0: no product like if you're not selling a fucking vacuum cleaner and right. you got nothing to show right. it's like we're going to give your money to a monkey somewhere
1: my grandfather was a door-to-door salesman for a while selling you know post-war aluminum pots and pans which many of which I have in my house at this very moment but he was so suited for it you could tell he was so suited for it because he's like pathologically a positive person <laughs> and like church going and all that kind of thing. Yeah. I was like, that guy can sell anything. Sure. He's just the friendliest guy. His rejection doesn't matter to him. And I think sales is like a special. You got to have a, you got to be the right person. I suppose you can learn it, but I think there's something inherent about I don't think I could do it. You got to really be motivated, I suppose, and not handle, not take rejection because you get rejection. Anyways,
0: so. what kind of person doesn't have that inherent issues with like embarrassment or
1: rejection? There are people out there like that, yeah. Yeah, think. something's wrong with them, I think. Probably, I <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably. So, uh,
0: what you lived by yourself,
1: yeah. So, I spent the summer living by I've myself, never
0: fucking live by myself, yeah. It's awesome.
1: It was, it was okay. I mean, I would have liked a roommate at that point, Because yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, I want to do something and you Know, have fun, and I spent a lot of time sort of sitting around in that apartment, like watching the Twin Peaks movie. Or it's an interesting summer, <laughs> you even were the...
0: bored, firewalk with me, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that
1: movie, yeah. I did the time anyway. It's um, like I'm thinking back about it now, it's like I was 19, yeah, 19 years old, and even at that age, like that summer just seemed like forever, you know. There's I mean? <laughs> a lot you're summer. fucking
0: 20 and 21, man. shit
1: yeah so
0: things are never gonna end then you're like oh
1: fuck but i didn't have a band at the time so i was doing these things like trying to meet you know flyers on the street Mm -hmm. and trying to meet people and play with various people and like you know it was going really badly until you know i just got lucky and met jeff farina through Mm -hmm. a flyer well through another guy's flyer who's like i'm going to this guy's house let's go So I went and played with them. I was like, oh, well, Jeff's cool. And this is, this all sounds cool. Like I'm into it.
0: Yeah.
1: And then I think Jeff at the time was like, I don't know about that other guitar player. So I was like, okay, whatever, who, you know. And then he and I played for the remainder of that summer. And then we found a bass player also by putting up a flyer Mm -hmm. on the street. And then we started the band and
0: what did that flyer say? Do
1: you remember anything that was on it? Bands? The, looking for a bass player? Oh uh, Or, yeah, yeah. I think at the time... Or it's even a, the one that you saw. The one I saw, the reason I talked to the guy, because it said he was into Yola Tango. I was really into Yola Tengo my last year of high school, and into the first... So that
0: early version was in a much different direction, maybe? What of uh, well, so Of. Yola, Yola Tango? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> of you and Jeff and this other guy.
1: Well, it started out pretty much, I don't remember what I was playing with the other guy, what the other guy was doing or how he was playing, but it did pretty much start with, generally started with Jeff saying, I've got this riff or I've got these parts or Mm -hmm. something like that. And they felt really easy to play along with. I was like, I like that style of music and I naturally want to play it like this and hey, that sounds cool. You like it? Okay, it sounds good. All right. And then we put the flyer up and found Eamon, um, who was a bass player, and um, just wacky guy. And the the flyer itself said, I, I remember I at least said like we like, codeine, Bitch Magnet, and Fugazi. I think that was probably
0: that sounds about on there, yeah, you know,
1: standard stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that would have been about ninety, yeah, summer of ninety three. And we met Eamon and we started playing, I think we played our first show in December of 93. Yeah. And then we played more shows. And we did our first tour in the summer of 94. And then eventually Eamon left the band in 97? He left the band in 1997. We were briefly a four piece for a year or two when Eamon moved to playing guitar and Jeff Goddard was a was the new bass player. Mm-hmm. And Eamon left to go to medical school. Ninety seven, and then we played until
0: two thousand five. Yeah. What was the infinite for uh, become a four piece?
1: Was it just that? I think Eamon. My re- recollection, and I don't remember exactly, but yeah, or I don't know if it's accurate. Exactly, but my recollection was Eamon was felt that he wasn't really a bass player anyway. And he wanted to play second he wanted to play guitar mm-hmm. do some singing yep stuff like that and um, band, i thought that was a great idea yeah the me.
0: band definitely stylistically changed a little bit
1: yeah and it was it, like practices and shows everything just felt louder and bigger and yeah, yeah you know and plus i knew we were kind of playing like our music like we were you know we were playing shows with like Hoover. And open for Fugazi a couple times. I was looking
0: over that list that you sent me. Oh, yeah. Did I send you the show so list? The show list. Yeah.
1: Which is crazy that you compiled that whole thing. Yeah, um, that was actually Jeff Goddard. Oh, really? Pretty much. I mean, there's a, probably a few emissions in there. But sure. Whatever, you know. Sure. So we were, you know, I was kind of like, oh, wow, another great show we're to play and get our asses blown off the stage by, like, these <laughs> heavy bands. Like, generally, right? Hoover, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Hoover. Like, that was, like, our second or third show. And I was just like, "Oh fucking Christ! <laughs> These guys are real, you know." Yeah. And we're just playing the stuff. Like, why is our stuff so quiet, or you know, com- comparatively?
0: Definitely the first record. A little, is a little.
1: Quiet. Slow songs, yeah. for one thing, and um, you know, plaintive singing and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um. So it was cool when we had a fourth, second guitar. I just felt like, okay, now we're now we're rocking. <laughs> now we're gonna, <laughs> now we're gonna rock and uh i thought it was great and, but you know amon i didn't think about it i suppose everybody else could sort of tell amon's not going to stay in this band too smart yeah kind of like <laughs> i'm gonna go to medical school you guys you know <laughs> I'm not getting this. Stick around with this band van, you know get in a <laughs> van and play you know these shows okay um but um after that we got invited to europe so take that payment <laughs> when you don't listen to this podcast. yeah yeah
0: um How did the... How did you get hooked up with Fugazi? Did you tour with them more than once? No, no, no.
1: We only played three shows with them. And I think there was the connection between... And it was New England shows, so Fugazi was up in here. Mm. And I think they... Some of the Fugazi guys had a relationship with Jeff's sister.
0: Oh, right, right. uh, Right.
1: Yeah. And obviously, the relationship is now that she's married to Ian. And they're in a
0: band now? They
1: have a new band, an unnamed band. Yeah. It's... Probably sound, someone's calling like the Fugivans. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it probably sounds like the Evens and it probably sounds a little like, like you Yeah, <laughs> I know
0: a lot of people would dig that for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I'd I definitely want to check it out and hear it. <coughs> um, I heard I listened to the new record, Hammered Holes. Have you heard that? I have not. That's Alec McKay's new band. Oh, really? And that's Alec, Mary Timoney, uh, this guy sure. named Mark, and. Chris Wilson who's a drummer.
0: I'd love to talk to Mary. That would be great.
1: Yeah, she would be a, she would be a, a trove of info. I bet. And um, so yeah, so that was Eamon left the band. We played as a three piece. We got hooked up with Fugazi for that show. That was as a three piece beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that was really cool. So when when well, he left.
0: Wow. Uh, did the songwriting change?
1: Yeah, to some extent. I mean, it certainly it went back to more of Farina yeah. um, focusing on what he was trying to do, mm-hmm. which was, you know, more involved guitar playing and others, you know. I think he was, he was really trying to push himself guitar-wise and compositionally-wise. And that was cool. I mean, for the most part, I was into it, too, because the whole thing, I felt like the whole band is part of the a big part of the band was like well let's push ourselves like instrument as far as our instruments like how well we play so I actually had dropped out of college and I went back to school but I went back to Berkeley to study music and I was like well I'm ready to do this now I was just about 26 years old by that point Mm and I was like fuck yeah I want to go study music because Farina and Goddard are sitting there talking about these chords that I don't really know what it means and I'm just playing these drums so let me go back to school. And How was
0: the process of getting into, into uh, Berkeley? Berkeley,
1: yeah? Well, I had transferred there from BU. hmm And um, what were you studying at BU? Where were
0: you doing nothing. <laughs> nothing.
1: <laughs> what yeah. were, were you supposed to be doing? <laughs> I <had> undecided. <laughs> right. Undecided. I was studying like, you know, secretive pot smoking in the dorms sure, and sure. Like acid trips and stuff. Um, so I had transferred in there because actually the summer between high school, oh yeah, wait. Yeah, the Summer, the summer between high school and college, I came up and did a five-week study program at Berkeley just to like learn shit. They have this five weeks, basically summer camp for grown-ups, okay. essentially. They or do it be-
0: for people who are like coming in... Had you done any,
1: like, uh... I mean, I had taken drum lessons Mm -hmm. early on in, like, ninth grade. Like, snare drum lessons with, like, a, you know, a classical snare drummer. Yeah. And prior to that, I had taken piano lessons from, like, age seven to, like, 14 or 13 or something like that. Can you still play? I mean, I know how to play the piano. Mm -hmm. I can't play any pieces of music, per se, I mean, I can read music. And right. That kind of thing. Well,
0: that's the best. I mean, everyone, all classical like singers and have to learn the
1: piano. Yeah. I mean, piano was great. I mean, I love the piano mm-hmm. as an instrument. I love solo piano music. Yeah. Um, definitely
0: i think probably one of the better ways to learn music. oh yeah
1: and it's really easy because it's all laid out there in front of you in terms of like your if you're visual which i kind of am like oh, oh i want to see the shapes of these chords every octave is lined up in a row you know there's no yeah. weird intervals between strings you know like that kind of <laughs> yeah. thing you know it's a very logical ordered yeah. instrument so when I went back so I went to Berkeley for a year after BU and I dropped out of Berkeley because I thought it totally sucked at the time but I did make some cool friendships there with like the handful of people that were into like indie rock so like I got turned on to a lot of music by a couple friends there um, the the Boston band that I had first heard about with them when I was there was Come so I was like oh, oh and Cudgel I was so like I remember reading about Cudgel in the Weekly dig or something, or whatever, whatever, the, like there was like a weekly or something. And I was like, this sounds crazy. It's weird. Like, you know, this guy, he bends over the microphone and he screams, like, what's that sounds cool? Like, <laughs> I want to check that out. Um, but anyway, I quickly dropped out of Berkeley because I remember getting, like, because again, I was still like studying pot smoking at the time, more or less, and not, and hanging out and not, not digging jazz.
0: Was that why you, like, dropped out of, of uh, Berkeley? Anymore? I dropped
1: out of Berkeley because I just wasn't doing any work. And it was, it was hard at that point for me. I'm sure.
0: That's and, why I asked you if you had any, like, formal training. Well, you would... I could th- never go to Berkeley.
1: You would think that it wouldn't have been hard. But, you know, again, when you don't try, things seem hard. I <laughs> mean, you don't put in effort. Things are hard. I remember, like, really, it's like the last day, second to last day of school. I knew I was leaving. I knew I wasn't gonna go back. And just this, this teacher was fucking berating me. One for being a drummer, and two, <laughs> two for like not being able to do this. Your training exercise or, or harmony, something or another. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, "Fuck this! I'm going on tour in two weeks." Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A super psyched to go get in a van with my friends in the band. Sure. And, Go on tour like all the other bands that I'd been listening to did. And it's like, I don't need this shit. So then, you know, eventually, fast forward six years or five years, I was like, fuck, like, what am I doing? You know, I don't know what year that was 97, 98, something like that you know so i'll just fuck it i'll just go back i'll go back to berkeley it was nice to have options i was like trying to get into other schools and Mm -hmm. trying to figure something out and when you you were just like looking for something to do i was looking for something to do that was like a direction that was like either education based or or job based Mm -hmm. i I tried out for the blue man group and let that go it went really well up until they cut me but it went well enough that they like flew me down to New York. And what year was this? This was probably in the late 90s. So like their payday. Yeah, they were getting really popular. Yeah. yeah. And um, it was this kind of thing. It's like I saw the ad for it, and I was like, I'm going to do this. You know, I, I just had this premonition that like this, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. Because I'm six feet tall. I'm bald already. <laughs> and like, I can play drums. So I went down to, like, the Wang Center or whatever down there. There was another local dude who was in... Yeah, they're all local guys. Man yeah, like... Sh- was it Schneider? Mark Schneider or... Mark Scheichler? Sh- is it Mike... Sh- it was a dude... There's a Schneider in that. One of the guys is, like, the founder of it or something. Oh, yeah? I can't remember his name. Hmm.
0: There was another dude that, uh, I fucking forget the name of the band. And This is going to sound stupid.
1: Maybe I'll just insert it.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> There's this-, this band called...
1: The, the, the. Uh, yeah, he
0: did it. Fuck. Go ahead. I apologize.
1: No, 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 it's fine. Yeah. So, my actually, my friend Christina from Berkeley, who I met the first year at Berkeley, she was in the band there for many years and did sound for mm. for Blue Man. But anyway, it went really well, and I was like, I'm a shoe in. This is going just as I, you know, just as I saw it in my mind. And now they're finding me in New York, and I'm putting they're putting me in this hotel, and I'm going to these tryouts, and they're putting me in the whole fucking suit with the blue paint, and strangely, like. I remember said someone's like, you look like fucking Shaquille O'Neal in that thing. And I looked at myself and I was like, I look like fucking Shaquille O'Neal. How is this possible? Like, but blue. But blue. You know, and I, I don't really share the same facial features as him, but yeah. somehow it, it worked. All anyway, right. and then like on one day I was like, I'm not feeling this anymore. And then that day I was like, yeah, they, it was like, yeah, we're going to let you go. It was weird because like, like was
0: I, there any reasoning for it? or just?
1: I think the acting was really hard. Because the acting was like, okay, you need to act with your eyeballs. Like, that was these exercises they were putting me through. And uh-huh. you need to show, like, surprise. Like, don't move your eyelids. <laughs> you know, don't move your eyebrows. It was just like, what it was... What
0: was the concept behind the whole thing? Like, was there, like, an, uh, an idea?
1: I can't remember. Yeah. I think it was like, you know, you were supposed to be expressive with your eyes. Mm-hmm. And play drums. It was certainly entertaining. Yeah, I saw the show. I was like, that's yeah. cool.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah
1: but you know like that failure and like failure to get into these other (laughs) colleges that I had been applying for in hindsight I would think um, I was really glad none of that happened
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because I stayed in the band that I was in and then we started to go to Europe and then we actually started selling records and like it was a thing like oh this band is still a thing that I can do and it's actually like takes up a lot of my time and it's it's legit. You know, it felt like it was a legit thing to do. So I was like, I'll go, I'll go back to Berkeley because everybody in my band is talking about like dominant seven altered chords. And I don't know what that means. So fuck that. I want to go figure what, <laughs> you know, and, and when I went back to Berkeley, you know, again, the big difference maker is effort and motivation. And I was super motivated. How old were you at this point? Uh, I think I was like 26 or something.
0: It's early to be motivated. I don't think I was motivated at that age.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wish I had been motivated, you know, in high school and college earlier, but whatever. Anyway, it was great going back there to school. And I think I would do, I did like two semesters and then took a semester off to do band stuff, and mm-hmm. then went back and finished, and it was great. I learned so much, I'd do it, I'd go back in a second. If do I, you still use a lot of it
0: today, or...? Well... Have you ever thought about writing your own stuff?
1: No, I have written my own stuff, but I don't think that. I don't know to what extent Berkeley would have helped me with my own stuff. I didn't do well in the songwriting class, I don't think.
0: Songwriting, I mean, is whatever you want to be, I think, in a lot of ways.
1: Well, of course, yeah. Like, you don't. I mean, most songwriters didn't go to Berkeley, no, you know what no. I mean? Or any music school. That's so. why, I, you
0: know, I think obviously Berkeley has a reputation for, like, homogenizing or sterilizing musicians in a little little bit of a way. Yeah,
1: there is that, there is that concern. Actually, now in hindsight, one of the reasons I went back to Berkeley was because as the band was like, as Jeff Farina in particular was trying to extend his technique, I also, what, what was the catalyst? I heard a record... And it really hit me how much better <laughs> that drummer was than me or something. It was a jazz record. I was like, I cannot fucking... You don't remember what do record it is? It was uh, called The Space Book by Booker Irvin. I have that record. You do? Yep. Yeah. I, I've listened to it a handful of times recently and I kind like, oh, I love this record as much as I did. Um, but Alan Dawson is the drummer and he's a Boston guy, incidentally. I didn't know that. Cool. He was a Boston guy and he taught at Berkeley for a while. For a long time, actually, because I think he preferred teaching over touring and stuff like that in the 60s and 70s. He had a, t- a student who then became a teacher at Berkeley and then sort of codified Alan Dawson's teaching method, oh, neat. which there was a book at Guitar Center that I bought because I wanted to know about this guy, Alan Dawson, who I'd heard on this record, Book, mm-hmm. And then Kate got really into the methodology. Of the Alan Dawson The the Alan Dawson teaching methodology Because it was really um, Factual You know And really sort of like mathematical In the sense that like You know I don't know It was just codified in a way That was really Like you could easily expand On all of the things And he would show you Like you do this And then you expand on it These eight different ways And you know Just these things alone Would give me hours of practice trying to get the coordination and the vibe to doing that. So that sh- that was the aspect of Berkeley that really helped me having drum teachers and also just being like I'm going to go practice for 4 hours between classes or something like that. And so I learned I got much better I think as a drummer at that time. Now the problem, in hindsight, in retrospect, is I was really focusing on being a good drummer in the band that I was in. So it's like, well, I have, what kind of crazy way can I play this part or something like that? And like, I'll listen to a karate song and I just like, ugh, like, why didn't I just play a fucking beat on the song like a straight fucking so this beat? Is on the
0: later records.
1: On all, all, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. In the later records. I graduated from school officially in 2002. So that was like, yeah, it's sort of getting to the last two or three records, I think, mm-hmm. about then. Um, so, you know, I was really focused on, oh, well, what's my technique sound like? And, you know, can I throw in this double paradiddle on this part? And, like, that kind of shit where it's just Are like. Are you
0: overcomplicating things? Yeah,
1: overcomplicating things, sort of practicing when you should be sort of just like playing the music. Yeah. And um, I think it kind of shows in hindsight like it's a little sterile like the drumming can be a little sterile. Hmm. It would have been better if you just went and played a straight ass beat or you know also in hindsight I kind of feel like I hear what Jeff was trying to do on the later jazzier records in a way that like I sort of get now mm-hmm. <laughs> but didn't really get then and be like oh this could have been like a you know my part should have done this because it's this cool sort of like groovy Smooth thing or something.
0: California guitar, like, <laughs> something like, you know, yeah. California style jazz,
1: <laughs> right? What we did, we played. We may even played West Montgomery stuff. Who was really? We may have, yeah. Okay. We played fucking jazz tunes at our set. Wow. We um, which was not comfortable for me because I'm still to this day not a very good jazz player. Um, but we would play like a McCoy Tyner tune. Um, we would practice this tune called um, Stolen Moments. Okay. Um, was, which Sounds is familiar. Just like a, it's like a, it's a nice jazz tune. It's sort of basic, as far as I recall. I don't recall the, if the harmony was complex or whatever. Um, we tried to play this tune called Interplay by Bill Evans, which is an amazing tune. The guitar solo on that song is so great. It's um, Jim Hall, you know Jim Hall. Oh, do you know Jim Hall? Yeah, it's like. With, it's, so it's
0: a little bit later, Bill Evans.
1: No, it's now? earlier. Really it's earlier I think than like Village Vanguard stuff my dad was a huge fan really guy. yeah he's huge. Loved. he's fucking great um, probably,
0: probably his favorite jazz guy kind of oh really jazz. yeah
1: absolutely so I mean that's what we were doing and that's why there was all this shit getting thrown into the band in terms of influences and people trying me trying to do like trying. I was always trying to be fancy and in hindsight it's just like oh why don't you just play a beat you're the fucking drummer like don't make a big deal out of it <laughs> you know
0: uh, but, uh, honestly, I think, yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of indie rock from this era had that problem, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. at least from this over overcomplicated, just for the sake of being overcomplicated, maybe.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's still tons of music like that that's still around. Mm-hmm. My friend Mahmood, you know Mahmood? Yeah, I, I, I interviewed him. He "Oh, cool." Yeah, he was here. Um, he sent me a text. We like came, came through and uh, Tugboat Annie played.
0: Oh. Tugboat Annie at a reunion show
1: right I stopped by that show I saw the oh, yeah, I, saw, yeah. I saw I I. didn't really know that band very well except for their one the hit that I knew I'm, sh- I, I'm sure that you guys played with them at least once maybe yeah at least sure. once because yeah. Mahmood was really involved with them and mm-hmm. actually well, Mahmood was involved with Karate later on I think after his Tugboat Annie um, involvement but I know I always really loved them but I saw that show or at least some of that show mm-hmm And I was like, oh, I remember this song. (laughs) This was like their hit. It was a hit. Yep. And then at that point, I was like, all right, I'm going home. (laughs) But, you know, it's still, it's like, this sounds so fucking 90s to me. It's (laughs) it's
0: like so emo. Yeah. I mean, I love it still, but like, uh, Jay from that, from whatever year that was, 1996, 7, or whatever. Yeah. What the fuck were you, what were you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, so anyway. You Mahmoud.
1: Yeah, oh Mahmoud sent me some text the other day. He's like, check this out. And I was like, what the fuck is this music? It was like a duo. It was like this super technical like metal kind of stuff, but like it was so technical you couldn't really hear any of the notes the guys was the guy was playing and we were joking because then the guy had like a he was playing like a two piece kit or something, but he had two of them. <laughs> and then he'd switch over to the other like two-piece kit or three-piece kit, and they sounded exactly the same. Yeah. The two or well, the snare sounded slightly different. Just kitsch, just like fucking a, a hook, some sort of stupid thing. I, I don't even know what the fuck they're thinking. What they were, I was like, what kind of music is this? I feel like I want to look at the text he sent. Uh, um, sounds like um, Hella. Do you remember that
0: band Hella? It
1: was not. I mean, I, I pref- I'll take Hella over this thing. Any day. Sure. But then again, I, I don't, maybe, uh-oh. Ay, ay, ay. Problems? Yeah, I got some ongoing problems with my 10-year-old son. Oh. Did. Uh, um, no, you No, know? I just got sidetracked by the text message um, that's coming from his mother. Mm-hmm. Who I'm, I do not live with because she's all, she's, you can edit this out. Sure, we can edit this out, for sure. But, um yes, yeah, problems with her and my relationship with her. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, it makes, um, it makes... Being a dad tough? Uh, yeah, especially when your kids got problems. But... <laughs> I mean, like, it's technical, but...
0: I think kind of like
1: it's just over itself. Yeah, it's like what is this? Like it's not going anywhere. And uh, this is to say that bands are still doing this stuff. It's called Pound or something. XXXX <laughs> X, X, X is the name of the song. Of course, yeah. Anyway, it's still happening to to your point. It's it's still happening where well, bands are doing weird technical shit that doesn't make any goddamn sense.
0: One of the one of the problems I think was that, especially in that era, that a lot of bands were doing that shit. Yeah me in particular, yeah. as well as other people, yeah. who did have no business doing that. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. you know, like right. you guys were... Well, we had, school, s- you we had school, songs, went, though, too. Yeah, sure, right, Yeah. You know. Um, I wasn't asking... <laughs> so if, if Poster Boy was Tugwood Annie's hit, what, what's Karate's hit?
1: Oh, well, I think we had... Um, well, we had two, I believe, I'd right. to say. The first one was on the second record, Which I mean, as far as most requested songs, that's how I'm gauging this. Okay, Um, and that was called "New Martini."
0: It's
1: a good one. So on this, people like that the most from that record, I think. And then um, the song "Sever" on um, the record "Unsolved." Huh? People really like that, particularly in Europe. That was like I would
0: have guessed either of those. Actually, I would have guessed caffeine or me.
1: You know, I think. Yeah, I don't know, but I think by the time we were playing in Europe a lot, we weren't playing a lot of the early stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. I know we were playing Caffeine or Me actually, but yeah. I don't know. I, I people like that one, but I never get that was not the one that they yelled out the most. It was definitely like Sether. <laughs> Sorry, we're not playing that. Yeah, that's
0: it. <laughs> <guess>. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, I got it to you. This. What year was this, though, when uh, karate was, like, coming down to a, a close? What was the impetus for
1: um, karate just... I think it was, well, it was a combination of things, I think, but the, the sort of the... Jeff was complaining about his ears. His ears were getting tinnitus, mm-hmm. um, and I think he was really struggling with that, because, you know, he's like, I don't want to wear ear... I can't sing and wear earplugs very well, and, like, you know... So, was it just live shows that would... Really bother him, or yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So couldn't tour anymore. Yeah, I think also he probably wanted to move on. Mm-hmm. I would assume he wanted to move on and do other stuff, more acoustic music. You know? Yeah, um, which is what he did. I think pretty much right afterwards. I think so. He was getting right into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know that's cool. It's I figured. You know, I was like, I always have a new. Well, this band's never going to last forever. No. Nothing lasts forever. How long was it? It was was 12 years. It's a long fucking time. Yeah, yeah. So by the end, I was like, all right, well. The one thing I say on this podcast is like five years is a good lifespan for any band. You're pushing five
0: years, you either got something really good Yeah or or you're just fucking beating a dead horse. Right, right. No,
1: I I think there's some truth to that. But then again, you have to consider age because five years when you're 20 is, is a long ass time. Yeah. so now I'm thinking, like I'm thinking, at age 45, I'm like, oh, we've been together like three years, like didn't we just? I thought we just got together like <laughs> really already three yeah. years? And then oh, like you had put out two records. I was like, oh, a lot of bands don't put out more than two records. That's true. And I mean,
0: if, if a band puts out a second record, that's like an achievement.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard for me to get my head around that to some extent. And I think you know nowadays, if you're if you're old. You know, being a band for five years doesn't feel like it's that long, you know what I mean? At no, probably me, not.
0: Anyway. But like, you know, I just, as a gauge, like a lot of the bands from that era didn't put out more than two records.
1: Yeah, that's if, true. If that. Yeah, that's true. We, I think Karate, um, relative to that, put out a shitload of records <laughs> and was all together a long ass time. Um, Were you happy with all the records? Ah, uh, you know. I
0: mean, I know you're talking about like, you went... You, in hindsight, you were going back and
1: things bother you. But You like, know, I guess like I was never super happy with them just because, really? just as like my nature, be like, oh, I could have done this better. Or, the first record I remember after it was done, I was like, fuck. You know, I was like, I sound like that. <laughs> like, this is not, it's, you know, I was like, I thought we were way better. <laughs> it's, you know, but that's that, ridiculous for you to say. But honestly, <laughs> I know. And people told me that. Yeah. I remember a friend of mine, is still friends with today, who would later. Go to Europe with us on our first tour over there, and like I came back and was bitching, and he just lit into me. He was just like, (laughs) "You fucking bitch! Like, what is your pro baby crying?" And I was like, "Huh? Okay." You know, he he was not really maybe a sensitive guy Mm -hmm. in that sense where I was bitching. Wasn't having
0: you fucking. He's like,
1: "What do you think of records? Fine. Like, shut the fuck up." You know. So you know there there was that, but Mm -hmm. um, you know. In hindsight, I'm both happy with them as well as like, oh, I could have, you know, and I have some age behind it, so like, oh, well, I could have just been more mature and played a straight beat on the has song. Your, has
0: your playing changed a lot, you think?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm more cognizant of just of playing a good beat um, that has a good feel, mm-hmm. and that being very important. Um, because, you know, I now play, or have since then played a lot of music with in sort of non indie rock settings that require an accompanist as opposed to somebody who's like trying to work out his paradiddles on a indie rock song, you know, it's like, well, you got to play this beat and it's got to be steady because the four or five other people are singing in harmony or they're, they're doing all this stuff. And my job is to like, you know, get out of their way and just play with a solid, you know, down. play in good time and have a good feel. So I'm definitely more aware of that as something that's important in many settings. I guess most, most of the settings that I'm mean is like, well, how did? What's the feel like? Does it is it got a good beat? Not is it like? Oh, am I pushing my abilities? You know. That being said, I'm still pushing abilities when always pushing abilities when you're trying to play the best feel that you can. And I think part of that also comes from I've always listened to myself and heard myself in a certain way that doesn't satisfy me. It's like the feel of it is a little too on top of the beat, a little too ahead of the beat. When I'd rather sound relaxed and sound, you know, groovy. More John. Yeah, John Bonham. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Yeah, obviously he's the best of both worlds and he's super heavy, Mm -hmm. but it's also his feels fantastic. Um, I would say the drum beat on Richard Thompson's Calvary Cross. That song, I guess it's from like the late 70s or something. That song's got like the best fucking feel I've ever heard. Really? And it's also like, it's like codeine in terms of its tempo and really in terms of its minimalism and so forth. Um, but the feel is like it's insane Hmm. how good it is at that slow tempo nothing is out of place and you know that's what I'm really into sort of in in a way now more than like fancy shit is like a good song with an amazing feel to it you know um but yeah so that's how my playing has changed my awareness of what I think is important um to you know how to play
0: what bands have you played with that you think really had an effect on you change you know changed the way you played
1: well karate was definitely a big one because it sure. was so long and it was also you know through my entire 20s right but you and said like after
0: you left there like you afterwards you to... Well, I
1: well you know I had to play I started playing maybe in
0: 2009
1: or 10 or something with this band called Beat Circus which was a totally different kind of thing. Beat circus. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Who's who was that?
1: Well, it had like... It had a violin, a viola, a tuba, guitar, bass, like harm, harmony vocals, mm-hmm. like a harmonium at one point, a trumpet, like all this kind of shit that lends itself to a different type of music than like 90s indie rock. Um, so, it would ha- I would have to sort of play, almost thinking, you know, really not thinking about rock music to an extent, mm-hmm. and play, you know, like for instance, I'd play a so- one of the songs would be like it's just on the floor tom, right? And it's this, think like a symphonic piece with, with the floor tom, but it's, you know, it's still, it's like timpani. Yeah, yeah. It's still got like a tempo. But you've got to do these accents with the floor tom and then there's this march on the snare drum kind of thing and so it was a little bit of a stretch in terms of like oh well this is new and it was almost like well this is easier than i'm the more i think about it the harder it is where it's like i just need to be like it doesn't have to be a fancy thing it's just got to be sort of thought of differently than like you know it's not like a a John Bottom beat or Mm. you know a straight rock beat it's something else so that was really cool and I still I still play with them it's a really sporadic thing and some of the members are changing I actually did just tour with them in April and it was baritone sax violin and viola two female singers guitar bass drums and there may have been some trumpet but anyway, it's just cool because that's a different environment. Like, with those people, it's like, you know, there's a composer, essentially. He's handing everybody sheet music, and by the end of practice, you know, the songs are played, which is a nice thing to do. One, because I don't have to have sheet music in that because I'm the drummer. He gives me, sometimes he'll give me the bass chart.
0: Yeah.
1: So I can sort of just, I can see the rhythms on the page. It mm. doesn't matter what the notes are, but get a quick view of like, oh, this is this is the bass rhythm that he's going to be playing and the cool thing about that is in an environment where everybody can read you can go bam 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 and go through shit really quickly so for instance with that in mind and also talking about playing a good beat I met with uh, three other guys last night you know Rafi from Q Division
0: Uh, yeah I know the name
1: Anyway, he was one of them, and this guy, Andrew, and this guy, Brian, both of who played in Beat Circus, and we were getting together for, we're trying to put this other thing together, which is doing, like, old country tunes. Awesome. But, so we're doing this really old Willie Nelson song, I shit. Sanford Clark, there's some really cool tunes that we've, that we've found, but it's also great because, like, they're really easy, those tunes are fairly easy, mm-hmm. and those guys can just be playing, we can be playing them in one run-through and even, like, the little original interlude tunes that Andrew's working on, he has the charts for those, and he can give them to the bass player and the other, you know, the other guitar player. Mm-hmm. Although Rafi doesn't read as much as this, as other people I don't think. I'm not sure. I mean, just
0: having people in your band that can read. Yeah.
1: Another another trope of the, of the 90s. Nobody, nobody read, wanted nobody to. Nobody read music. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Well, you know, not in in, in our indie rock circles, probably for, by and large. Yeah, that's was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fine. I mean, you don't really need to, um, if you are either a good collaborative unit or or there's a guy writing the songs and he's teaching him to you. Yeah. I mean, that's how most you know music has been like that for. A Thousand Years. So there's a guy, he knows a song, he teaches it to other people, they teach it to other people, and it's never, you know, it's rarely written down, I think.
0: It's like a fable or something. Yeah, yeah.
1: In fact, I was watching that, there's like a new country music documentary on PBS. Oh, yeah. And part of it was like, you know, the the Carter family um, patriarch would like just go drive around the hills asking, hey, you got a song?
0: Really? <laughs> you know?
1: And they'd be like, "Oh yeah, here's this one I know." And I was like, the guy's like, "Cool, I've never heard that. Let me let me see if I can jot it down." I it sounded like he was basically stealing tunes, <laughs> yeah, and then like so it. he could go, oh, "I'm gonna go copyright this too."
0: Yeah,
1: because um, it wasn't copyrighted at the time, you know, just mm-hmm. like really like a yeah like a story or a fable um, that was just out there and was by word of mouth. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Just drive around. I'm gonna go pick up some tunes from the guys down at the. That's it interesting?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, you never heard. Never heard it quite put like that. You know, obviously you hear about that time when that time like when blues players were just like yeah. ripped off, right left. You know right. right? we will record your songs for nothing, right. but you don't get shit. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. I think a lot of country people that they yeah. ran into that too. Um. But yeah. So yeah, that that kind of thing. Like it's cool. It's fun for me to be when people are reading. You know? I'm like, oh I'm a real musician here <laughs> You know. I'm impressed, honestly. <laughs> so um but yeah, so that the so last night I'm thinking, okay, you know, on um what's that song? Skeeter Davis, um do I, da-da-da, da-da-da, da- Yo, the end of the world. You know that tune? Mm-hmm. Say, say, it's the end of the world. Okay, that's not like a drum-heavy tune. That's yep. But you know, I still gotta play it, and I gotta think about the feel. Like, where am I sitting with the bass player? You know, in terms of the rhythm. <laughs> like, is it swinging nicely? Like the record, like they do originally. You know where is this like dynamic buildup that I'm gonna do? But none of it is technical, like technical with quotes. It's more like it's still gonna push me to like I still gotta play this minimal drum part like really well. And that feel like a
0: lot of the drums with. on those early country songs are kind of an afterthought.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can barely hear them yeah. most of the time.
0: Like Johnny Cash said, he didn't doesn't even, didn't like drums. Didn't want.
1: Drum, they're all playing Acoustic instruments yeah, yeah, I mean yeah. the, It's like They couldn't hear them Over the acoustic mm-hmm. Or the drums were You know Overpowering I think Some acoustic. of that,
0: that Honky tonky Without the drums man. Oh yeah, it yeah Would yeah. not be as Like powerful Yeah and, Like fast and Without the drums No
1: I agree I mean there's a lot of Yeah like sort of gr- Old garagey I mean like Link Ray kind of stuff mm-hmm. yeah, You gotta have drums on that Gotta Yeah, yeah. Drive design for sure Even so. if they're like even if there's way too much reverb on it but yeah we're War doing Reaver. we're doing that we're doing this guy sanford clark who's really cool which i'd never heard of sanford clark an old willie tune skeeter davis is there um, a
0: name yet for no
1: nah, no we were joking because all these tunes are like you know two minutes long and we'd like oh, we, we did like three tunes plus these other little interludes. All right, we got like six minutes of music here. <laughs> we just need 30 more songs <laughs> and like 10 more rehearsals to learn these tunes. Mm-hmm. So they're really short. So, um, but yeah, that's just like a project, and you know it's entirely different than say what I do with Talia and Jason, which is the opposite. Nobody's reading music. Mm-hmm. So I didn't talk to Talia. Huh?
0: I did talk to her. Oh, really? Yeah, maybe like I don't know, three, four months ago. Cool, cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, but she's she goes way back.
0: Yeah, and back. one of the first shows I saw in Boston was Come mm-hmm. at TT's original show. lineup. Original lineup. OG 11-11. lineup. Eleven.
1: Yeah. What year was that?
0: It had to have been like ninety three. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 10? I don't think I saw them until probably 94, after the, right after the second record came out. Yeah. And I remember seeing Matt Titti's also. It was just like, whoa.
0: I really, and I was telling her how much I love uh, Neolithic Experience, the record. Oh, yeah. With, okay. With Tara Jane and Kevin Coulter. That's a
1: record I don't know very well. It's really great. So fucking good. You should really right. listen to yeah. it. Yeah. I remember that record when it came out, but it was a big deal to me because, oh, Jeff Goddard played mm-hmm. trumpet on it. Yep. there's a trumpet part, and mm-hmm. then I knew like the dude from the Jesus Lizard was playing on it. A... It's very
0: '90s. I yeah. mean, it
1: certainly is like a product of
0: the time, and it's also a pro- product like it doesn't sound like the first two records.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's probably mainly because they have they have two rhythm sections yeah, on the record yeah, or whatever. Right. Uh, plus, their original rhythm section, you know, is gone, so they're free to just be like, do whatever." This is want. our band now. This is yeah. completely just you know our show. So yeah, we're gonna do whatever the fuck we want.
1: Yeah. No, I think like I, I'll definitely get it. I I did get it more into the record that they put out, the last record. That mm-hmm. so gently down the street. gently down the stream. Good record. I like that record. That was when I actually met sort of met Talia in person mm-hmm. for the first. I got to know her during that period of time.
0: I met her at, at for Animal Hospital Ensemble. Uh huh. Uh-huh,
1: yeah. Before then, like I think I was playing in some other band. And for a while, we were sharing a rehearsal space with them, Mm -hmm. and it was the kind of things like, you know, we were gonna be practicing and we're gonna leave practice, and they're gonna come in. And my feeling about them as a band was, you know, it's like they're coming in. I'm like, (laughs) okay, wow, you know, like real. They're like fucking real. They're yeah. (laughs) And I was like a twenty-year-old legends. Yeah, I I even said that like when
0: I when I posted about it, I was like, talk to a legend. Yeah, like it's crazy
1: just grand for me those first two records are just like you put them on now and they're just like yep it's, it's still like you know it's still to me it doesn't, they're eat, doesn't age they're quintessential
0: boston for sure yeah those, bad
1: records, those records so yeah I love that I love that band I saw them original lineup maybe only two times at least two times but I'm not sure how many more
0: what so what other, uh, what did you do after karate like well
1: Well, karate, well, in this order, Um, I started playing, I played with Jeff Farina for another record and a tour or two Mm -hmm. with his project called Glory Tellers, Mm -hmm. which was acoustic guitar, electric guitar, and two-piece drum kit, and I played brushes on everything. And again, that was an opportunity for me to, like, get my brush technique better. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and do and tour some more, like, you know, and it was much more, um, it was much more low key than touring with karate to the point where, you know, so low key that I said, I thought me and Jeff would have got more people out, (laughs) you know, (laughs) given how karate was received, particularly in Europe. Like I thought more people would be coming out to these gigs. We did a tour of the States too. And no fault of Jeff Farina or anybody else, but it was like the worst tour I'd ever done in terms of attendances. What year was this? This was probably now 2007, maybe? 2007, 2008. Mm -hmm. And um, that was kind of a bummer. But I still enjoyed that music that we were playing. And even at It was the first time Also At one point Jeff calls and says, Can you do Another tour of Europe And I was like No I can't Partially I just had a child mm-hmm. I think <laughs> Around that I'm not, uh, time. I mean I'm, I know I had a child <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Around that time But it was like You know I like the music But I'm not Playing I'm just doing These brushes And it's boring. not that much And now I gotta be Away from home For a month Yeah, And I have a kid And I can't do it um, so that kind of ended it for me. I played on one record. Um, I was also at the time in the band called Cul-de-Sac, which you know, talk about old people. A lot of old people in that band. Glenn Jones, fantastic, amazing guitar player.
0: Yeah, those those, those records he's put out the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, are
1: fucking great. Just wonderful. And Glenn is like, if you want to be entertained when talking to somebody, I like
0: should talk to him. Let's see why he talked to me.
1: Yeah, you know, he's got a lot to talk about. Whether it's like the time he went and saw Jimi Hendrix, you know? Yeah, <laughs>
0: like I, when, I, when I when I bought that when I bought that well when I bought I remember I had a cults record back in the day, but also when I bought like one of his newer records I was like I forgot how old this fucking dude. Yeah. He was old when I saw him called sack. When I saw him, yeah, he's called sack, yeah. Back he's
1: probably sixty something mm-hmm. now. Sixty five maybe. And Robin Amos was the sort of keyboard guy. Yeah. Also that age, if you check out the band called Girls from like 1979, 1980, Boston, um, one of the best songs from Boston I can think of, top 10 maybe, in terms of my favorites anyways, yeah. is a girls song that Robin was in. I was like, you're in that fucking band, wow. But he's been around, he had been around forever. So I never recorded with Caldisac, but we did do a film score for the movie called Faust. It's a silent film, German silent film. Mm-hmm. And that was totally new to me, doing that kind of thing. Totally different way of playing. Yeah, how was that? It was, it, was just, it was hard. Really? It was hard, because you can't just do sound effects. Like, we weren't doing just sound effects. Like, we'd have these pieces that would come in. Were you watching the film? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, two hours on stage. It's fucking. It was like, oh my God, this is a, I'm tired. Like, I'm up here for two hours. The film is long. Uh-huh. And so you did this live? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah. Where where was this? Was this...
1: We toured on it. Like, half of the shows we did were with the film. Like, in New York? Yeah, yeah. We may have... We played it. We did it at the Coolidge, I think, once. Um, maybe once in Somerville.
0: Is there is there a recording of it? Like...
1: It may be like somewhere on my iTunes Somewhere Mm -hmm. a recording that we did with it But without the film it's kind of like And I kind of vowed to not watch the film (laughs) Now because I still sort of want to think of the film In terms of the music that we made with it Mm -hmm. Um, But it was hard man It's hard to sort of like You know there's improvising There's set pieces There's cues
0: You gotta remember two hours of film Yeah
1: yeah Right? I mean, obviously, there, it's sort of, of like okay, this scene is now. That means this is coming next. Mm-hmm. Uh, not like I could recite verbatim scene for scene. Mm-hmm. Um, how it? But there's well, like
0: some things, like flourishes that come up. But I'm sure there's yeah like actions going on. There's in
1: the action. Game. Yeah, it's yeah. all these different elements which I had never considered mm-hmm. um, in terms of like playing music. So
0: like I, when I listen to like a Star Wars soundtrack or something yeah. like that, and you, then you picture the film, and like obviously, you, a lot of the times you see like. Alan Silvestri or John Williams right. so they have playing in the background as yeah, recording
1: yeah so we would have I mean and especially with a silent film it, yeah. it opens it up you can right. just play the whole yeah. damn yeah, yeah, the yeah. whole damn time um, anyway we did that I, we toured once in Europe We actually went to Europe twice for once for a short amount of time that's
0: like a really fucking rad experience it sounded really cool it was
1: really cool we had some cool things uh, also I remember we got booked at a Slovenian jazz festival for which, like, we didn't play no jazz and we didn't, like, weren't doing the film. So we were like, well, what are we gonna do? We're we gonna play our song? It was like, why don't we just do a whole improvised psychedelic set? Cool. They put us in this, like, we're on this, like, in this, like, stone shack type of building. It's probably maybe twice the size of this room.
0: It was like an old building? Like
1: a- yeah, some old building in the hills of Slovenia. And um, there's a stream running by, and like we're like, let's go fucking mic the stream, put it through Glenn Jones' effects racks, and like we'll use that as our template. And and then I think I got stoned, and then we played for 25 minutes improv, and I just remember like this is the this is the greatest show I've ever played, <laughs> of course, you know. But when I recount that with Glenn, he's like. He, no, No. Glenn says, "Yeah, do you Glenn will say, oh, you remember that show that we played cuz someone came into there after the show and said to Glenn, I came in after your show, but looking around I could tell something very special happened here." <laughs> so I was like, "Cool. It was good. It was cool." You know, I just we just fucking went it. I just it. came from a fish show though. <laughs> yeah. I
0: don't
1: really right. know what <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, that's, and, that's
0: cool, man. That's
1: yeah. It was it was cul-de-sac was a, was a learning experience. Also because in a rock setting, those guys made a lot of wrong notes all the time. There was a lot of errors. There was a lot of like, who's out of tune or what the hmm. fuck is like? Why are you playing that? Or you know, just like, and I just sort of had to learn to roll with it. Because you know, karate was very methodical, right. and like everything was in tune and in time, and, and same with Glory Tellers with Jeff.
0: So you yeah. hadn't done a lot of improvisation.
1: I hadn't done a lot of improv. Yeah. Like, like. What about like when you were at Berkeley? No, like I was mainly trying to learn bebop. You know, at Berkeley, I laid, I later, probably shortly after the cul-de-sac time, went through like, oh, I'm going to go through a free j- a free jazz phase. It's just, just like I just want to play I all the notes. It.
0: Everyone does. I think I, you know yeah.
1: anybody who you know. And
0: then you. Then I quickly like gravitated back to back to bebop. Like, yeah, hard bop.
1: Yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally because that's more enjoyable music. <laughs> yes. But I'd go see like Peter Brotzman and like those kind of William Parker and the, mm-hmm. those that scene, and I was into that for a while. And I started playing with a saxophone player who I got along with really great. He was actually from Baltimore, living up here. He just seemed like my people. But after a while, I was like, you know, I I was sort of like, I was like, why don't we try something that's got this sort of steady beat? He's like, I can't do that. You can't play like a note in time. He was, no, he's <laughs> like, I can't play in time at all. And I was like, you know, that's not cool. What was his name? Well, I'm not gonna say his. Name. All right, all right. He's a he's a great guy. He's a great yeah. guy. Music's not his thing. He's a okay. he's an artist.
0: Well, I was just gonna say because I, I knew a dude who was a, like a improvised like sax player. Yeah. At that same time. Yeah, I used yeah. to call him Battleship. He was he's huge guy. Yeah, was him. And he was just like he was like I like, I think I put up like a beat of like a bop record on like yeah. like an early Donald Byrd record. And yeah. he was like this is fucking garbage. He was just like no. No. it's not you know if it's not like scronk, yeah like you know.
1: yeah no I, that's that to me is bullshit I can't handle that I can't handle that attitude at all especially when like you know it's clear like you don't want to play anything else because you can't play anything else right I'm not saying I can play bebop really great but like I'm gonna give it a fucking shot you know I have a fighting chance sure. and you want me to freak out on the kit like I can do that too in fact this guy Ben Sisto do you remember him Yep, Ben Sisto he sent me an email recently. He's like, I just unearthed this this video of your band Pica, and I was like, Pica. I was like, what? What band is that?
0: <laughs> and I didn't remember
1: because yeah. it was like, you know, it was with that sax player, and we got a guitar player. And I was like, we got to get a guitar player. Like, we we need different sounds. And we did like two sets of just straight improvised shit. We were opening up for. We opened up for like some band a Great Scott, like some heavy band, I'm going to say like Breadwinner or... Oh shit, really? Something like that. It, was, it wasn't was that band. Yeah, yeah, right. But it was something that started with the B that was like a heavy band in like the early 2000s or mid 2000s. Anyway, I watched it, I was like, oh, that sounds cool. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. this is like a minute and a half. If that would have been our whole set, which sadly it wasn't. I would, that would have been a great set, you know? <laughs> But um, uh, so yeah, so yeah, it's probably a, like this
0: featuring Gavin McCarthy of Karate would be like, oh fuck, I'm gonna go to that. You would think, and yeah, then, oh yeah. And then they like get there, and like, what the oh, fuck? Yeah, is this. Yeah,
1: yeah, they. It was not <laughs> good. It wasn't good. I mean, it was fun to do for a while because it was like I, I can, at that point, like I'm feeling like I can play all of the notes really fast and like go crazy and really get into it but after a while I was sort of like I'm going to get back to playing beat and um, anyway with Cul-de-sac they we broke up I broke up I was the last drummer of that band there were many drummers in that band Uh and it was kind of like we weren't it it, it was really funny because it was like it was almost literally like everybody's going like it was like the last it's like the last episode of Seinfeld when they're all like huh Okay. And they all just walked. (laughs) That's kind of where the band felt like it was at. It's like, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, at least it was
0: amiable, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Everyone and of contentious.
1: I think Glenn was, like, primed to go, like, play his acoustic guitar. And rightly so, you know. I think um, that transition for him. I mean, he'd always been doing acoustic guitar stuff. But, um, yeah, you should talk to him. He's got great stories about, like, John Fahey and, you know. I should. All that stuff. I've been thinking about that. I played in a band called Wall Creeper for a while Mm -hmm. maybe two years we made one and a half records I really liked that band I thought it was a great rock band but just everybody was so dysfunctional in the time that was also around the time I was having I had my my kid was like one or two years old like two guys at least one guy was a raging alcoholic my marriage wasn't going well Another guy was a total pothead. The band just couldn't sus- be sustained. Mm. Um, but I really liked it. All the while, oh, going back years, you know, I also toured, was touring for the tour with Swirlies twice, maybe. I remember that. Well, again, one of many drummers. <laughs> Have you ever seen their Wikipedia page? It's got the list of like everybody who's played in the <laughs> band. It's like 50 people. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, I toured with Ted Leo a couple times.
0: Oh, shit, really?
1: Yeah. When? Filling in for Chris, who's now in that band with Alec McCann and Mary. Uh, this was probably... It was after 2001. I think it was shortly after 2001. And the reason I say it that way is because everyone was still talking about 9-11 mm. at the time.
0: Were you, were you in it with Drew Adorty? Drew no, it was
1: after Drew. Okay. After Drew. After Drew. And, um... I think that's all the bands I've played in, E, <laughs> Talia Zedek.
0: Yeah, so how, how did you hook up, so you, after you met her, like, did you just, when did the partnership come about? Did you just...
1: She emailed me out, yeah. out of the blue, yeah. I mean, I knew her around. I'd gone to see, I'd recently seen her solo band, the TZ band. Mm-hmm. I'd gone to see E. Um. And, you know, at that point, like, we're friendly, I know her. When I first met her is still like 96 or 07 or something like that and she was dating my roommate. She's super intimidating. At the time she was super intimidating. Um she's also super drunk when I first met her outside of my apartment coming into a poker game. We're having a poker game. Mm-hmm. And she was coming and I was like, "Oh, she's she's messed up." Um, but we got along, of course. Sure. And then I didn't really know her quote-unquote professionally until later on, mm-hmm. you know, by the 2000s where Oh, I, I drove her and Dave Curry up to Montreal one year because I had a van, and they were recording. So that's when I think we sort of hung out for the okay. first time. So I had seen E, fast forward 15, 20 years, whatever it is, I'd seen E play and was... I had my eyes set on getting into the band. So laser beam. I, I actually went to Jason's work where he was working with the intent of saying telling Jason that he needed to let me into their the band as their bass player for the yeah. band. Yeah. But I got cold feet. I was too embarrassed to like talk to him about it. So I was ending up at Jason's bike shop going, Hi Jason, you know, what's going on? Just thought I'd come and visit. What the
0: fuck are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I already have a bike.
1: Um, and then literally it was like two weeks later that Talia emailed me huh. and said, "You know, our drummer is leaving. Do you want to come try it out?" Of course, having just seen Jason, I was in his subconscious. See, and he thought of me as a drummer. You planned a I did. I planted yeah. seed. Uh,
0: see, you were working. <laughs> I think
1: you were working I a whole know. level. Up, but you didn't even know. <laughs> I know. I know. Next level shit. <laughs> sure. Um, so that's how we started. This is how I started playing with Talia, and I was like, "Whoa, cool! This is going to be amazing." Um. And it was also really, also amazing to start playing with Talia and realize that she's completely cool with me playing with anything I want and singing in her fucking band. I was like, you know, talk about, like, open-minded. Like, you would think that maybe Talia Zedek or someone of her ilk is going to want to control a bunch of things about everything. And she's just like, why don't you sing this one? Or, it sounds great. Or, you're playing great. It's always like so weird, like, oh, now, so uh
0: you have this one picture of how you think this, because I never met her up until, like, a couple of like, years, like, six years ago or, or seven years ago, and I was like, she looks like, like, she's so intimidating, like, I feel like she'd just bite your head off, but she's, like, yeah. she's, like such a
1: sweetheart. And, yeah, like, she so is a sweetheart. She will kick your fucking ass, oh, though. Sure. She right. has that side okay. to her, and I had one, like... One major fight with her on tour, and it was like, she doesn't back down for shit, and she does not back down for nobody. And the stories that she'll tell in the van about, like, oh yeah, there's one show where I was like fucking playing, the next thing I know, I'm fucking fighting Gigi Allen on stage. Like, it's just like one of those things. It's like, okay, <laughs> times you know, she played in an era where it was like. You know, a little danger was involved. We talked a little about it, but yeah. like,
0: I don't she didn't get into it every, like, little story. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But you, yeah, you, so as sweet as she is, she, she will fuck, fuck your shit up <laughs> if you're not the right, you know, if you're doing her wrong, man. Mm-hmm. She's, she's a fighter and, uh, it's cool, but also just completely open in terms of creative process stuff. And it's awesome. Um, so yeah, it's been really cool. And I play in her solo band now. I don't know if the last time I talked to you, I was playing in that band with her. I don't think so. they they are so their regular drummer left, so I'm filled, filling in, I guess. Or I'm in the band, oh, but the band is sort of sporadic. The mm-hmm. band is sporadic. But that's cool. Um, I toured in Europe with you know Dave Curry, Winston, and her in the solo band in January. And it was one of, it was refreshing, one of the refreshing parts about the tour was that I didn't know Winston very well. And uh, it was the first tour where I could talk to somebody on a tour extensively about both the Celtics and jazz music. Because most of the time it's just like, I don't know, I'm not into sports or (laughs) jazz, I don't like jazz. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, yep. So I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, we can talk about jazz and sports. Of course, Dave Curry's in the back, like, fuck both those things. You know? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I don't know anything about sports. Uh, fuck yeah, that. yeah.
0: like, anarchy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 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 um, fuck organized anything.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but it's funny, because we have a friend who, you know, used to do some stuff for karate. Mm-hmm. But then... I re-met um, when I was booking the first E-tour in Europe and he is an ex-Czech pro basketball player who loves the Celtics and loves you know laughing hyenas and he's like you know <laughs> fully tatted dude six seven, six eight, and you know I was like because I knew he was going to help TZ band with shows and I was like Winston you got to meet Adam you know it's like he's so going to talk about the Celtics with this Giant Czech guy who's gonna like, you know, he's just the sweetest guy. Um, so it's it's kind of a fun thing to do when you're with a bunch of artsy fartsy people. Yeah, it
0: is funny when you do meet people from that scene that do follow. Like when I met people that like follow the Red Sox. Yeah, and they happened to be in the same music. Was like, yeah, all we did was just watch Celtics games or watch Red Sox Sox games, games, drink and just. Fucking smoke as many cigarettes as we could. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's fun, man. It's fun when you when you find somebody or you got a buddy or whatever who's into all the things that you're into. I mean, it's just like you know, it's. I mean, I guess that's kind of no brainer, trite thing to say, but you know, you get pe- people who are specialized in one in one given field. Um, you know, they tend to not know much about. Anything else? Yeah. Or not have interest, And you, of course, and of course, there's like, you know, in, indie rockers or art people. You know, you're not supposed to like sports. You want a beer? I have a Bex if you want it. No, I got.
0: There's beers here yeah, I can have. It doesn't matter which one the fuck is right. I a beer in glass bottle. forever. <laughs> Justin's gonna be pumped
1: to use
0: sticks to open up your beers.
1: So. Oh yeah, you need, you need, you need the technique? Oh, no, a, oh that was easy. you
0: never done that before? Never done it with the, with the stick. I've done it with my Leatherman. Use the back of oh, the yeah. Leatherman. Yeah. I use the lighter, obviously. Actually,
1: I actually think I have a, something on my keychain that's for this purpose. It a can opener? I don't know what the fuck that is. So, yeah. Well, E now is unfortunately like Jason moved to Colorado. Yes, I heard from Talia, so you know the whole E soft well,
0: story. We can talk about story. it. <laughs> we can talk about
1: it. It's um, it's hard to do because you know we work best with three people with all the band members present,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know we can't have regular Tuesday night practice. And
0: well, I mean, I think that's an interesting subject. Like, how how has your music production changed as you get older and as other people around you, you know. Well,
1: again, I mean, it it depends on what, who the people are that I'm with. Sure. You know, last night it's charts. Everybody knows the tunes in five minutes because they're reading it. Which is,
0: like, crazy to me, you know, that people are still producing at that level, you
1: know. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a whole lot of musicians that are, I mean, I think the, you know, with the amount of bands that there are, the amount of records, the amount of styles of music. I mean, there's thousands of musicians. Sure. You know, sure. there's so much stuff that, like, you'll take a lifetime and you'll still never crack all the cool stuff that's out there, or all the people that do music in one way or another. You know, so it depends how who I'm playing with, and how how I'm how I'm working. Of course, it depends on the style of music. It depends on, you know, my natural state though is like a band like E. Or a band like karate, whereas like I come to practice. We practice regularly. Mm-hmm. We work out the parts. Um, we work out the music. There's a lot of verbal. Like it goes like this, and then I do this. And why don't you try something like this? Um, but that you know, that's that's out of necessity because nobody's reading music. It's just not how Jason and Talia do music. Yeah, yeah. and it's just not not how. A lot of people do music, so I, I'm glad for my own sake. Is that's how I started doing music is playing along to punk rock records and like getting the, the local narrative wells. Let's try and form a band and blah blah blah. and Let's just play, you know, just instead of like I'm going to learn how to read music so I can play in a band. You know, that was second. That was second for me as far as at least as far as Berkeley is, is concerned. That, do
0: you prefer it that way?
1: I would imagine I prefer it that way, in, if it works because I've played, I've tried to play in bands, I've tried to do things where, I mean, you have to have, I think, you have to have somebody leading to some extent. You can get four people in a room and everybody's just gonna stare at each other. Well, what are you gonna do? Yeah. Or, you know, there's always has to be like, okay, I'm playing this, and somebody else says, well, you gotta, let's play it this many times, or, let's not play that part too long. You know, There's always some... There's got to be some ideas. Mm-hmm. But I've been in situations where it's like, nobody really knows what they want to do, and nobody's willing to say, here I've got this sheet music for a tune. Well, we don't read music, okay. You know, or... I can be certainly frustrated, because I can now... You know, I can watch guitar players basic and and have a basic understanding of what they're playing by looking at them so I like so I can say go back to that F or go back to that high E or something like let's do that again Mm -hmm. but you know I've been in situations where if I say that well what's the E I don't know oh really like yeah or like or I don't know you know it just depends on how people are approaching music and it dictates Mm -hmm. how I'm going to interact with them um, Must
0: be tough. I mean, you know, like if someone were to be like, I don't know what E is, I would have a, a very difficult time.
1: Well, believe it or not, and I don't think it's quite this extreme, but Jason often doesn't know what. Because, first of all, he's stringing his guitar with like all different Yeah, strings. I mean, is there,
0: like bass six strings on there or something. I don't know. It's
1: something like that. He's got two E strings, mm-hmm. and then he's got like. Through four more strings or th- three more strings and then a high e or he's got the high e or the you know high pitched e tuned differently it's like it's crazy so yeah. you know if if you you don't really say to him, we'll play that f sharp with Talia it's like Ugh. he may he may not really know exactly where that is yeah. on his guitar but in this case for me. That would bother a lot of musicians. A lot of Berkeley guys are not going to play with a guy who is not a studied guitar player who's playing this homemade thing that's maybe not intonated properly mm-hmm. and you can't tell him where the F-sharp is. He yeah. doesn't know what that... A lot of Berkeley or musicians aren't going to go for that because they don't understand the, the process that he's working with or the concepts and vibe that he's coming with mm-hmm. is not a trained music thing. It's a conceptual art kind of thing that he's coming from. Do
0: you think even on the most basic level they look at it like that as well? Like, if, if some, if that, if that, Jason did know all, like, knew where he was, was playing a regular Telecaster, Dude. would they still have a problem with someone be like, well, I don't know, like, what a, you know, like a, you know... Augmented fourth? Yeah, whatever, whatever you know. the fuck. You know,
1: I, don't I don't know. Don't,
0: I don't know that shit. I
1: don't think... I, I don't know. It depends on who they are. If you're a jazz musician... Like, and you m- everybody's playing charts and yeah. everybody's reading. It's much more like, you gotta be able to do that. And frankly, you know, that was a really intimidating thing about Berkeley is, there's this whole element of competition and like, you know, showing off. And like, who can play and who can't play. Who can swing and who can't swing. You know, it's very like, you know I'm not you know that guy's just. you know a lot of co- competition which means there are people talking shit about other people's playing a lot Woof. so it's I like I not handle that shit no it's not it's just not the attitude that like it's not the attitude that I grew up with about music which is I want to rock yeah f- and with other like-minded rockers who are playing this music that's sort of outside of at least in the late 80s was outside of the mainstream of, you know, it was pre-grunge explosion. And, you know, I'd walk down the street with my friend with, like, Liberty Spikes and people yell out of their car at you, yeah, fuck you, kind of thing, you know what I mean? So that was where I was like, I want to be in this insular group of community where this idea of, like, talking shit about somebody's playing wasn't really a part of it. You know, it wasn't really a part of, like, oh, that guy can't swing, he can't play giant steps in all 15 keys <laughs> or, you know, or whatever. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All, tw- all 27 keys in a, you know, or whatever. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I think there's something like, because nowadays, like, <laughs> at my age now, with my experience, like, I don't want to play with people who can't play. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, so I've internalized that maybe to some extent. Well, I mean, sure. At this point, no. Yeah, at this. Point, I mean, maybe it's just an age thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the no, guy, I, I, he I, can't I, play guitar. He can't play bass or what. It, like, mm. I don't have time for that. No, of course not. And wh- you know, why would you make time for that? Well, I don't know. It's something to think about because I often think about like oh, I could probably play bass in a band, <laughs> <laughs> and then like you I get there. You,
0: you thought you could? I thought well, I literally <laughs> thought I could play bass in
1: E. I could play bass in a band where they let me play bass, and they, even if I said, well, I'm not that good. But then I realized that they'd be like, I don't want to play this. F- bass is fun. I don't want to play with this guy who can't play bass. That would be me now. Yeah. I'd be on the other side. You know? <laughs> right? So,
0: um, did you um, did you ever
1: consider doing session stuff? Have you done session stuff? Uh, I don't really think I have I mean maybe something came up I've done things on occasion like one guy one time a guy emailed me and said will you play on my songs Mm -hmm. remotely
0: see I mean you have kind of done some drummer for hire stuff I have
1: and frankly I would say I have done not enough Mm -hmm. but you know it's kind of like my excuses would that is like I don't know the right people or, like, could you go down to Nashville and play? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Would you ever do that? Well, that's a tough question. Because, you know, as of late, I've been... Um, as of late, I've been sort of down on Boston. Because I feel like, oh, I've been here a long time. And I'm also sort of out of the loop in terms of, like knowing who the new bands the are, scene the scene, is, yeah. scene I mean, where what, is the that's scene?
0: That's what this fucking whole thing's
1: about. I mean, I know it's gotta be there. It's there, it's at house shows, it's happening. Yeah. But like, I'm not invited because I don't know those people. <laughs> it's not that I'm not invited, but you know <laughs> what I mean. It's like, I'm not in the know. Yeah. Like the other day I heard Pile on the radio. Oh yeah. And I was like, this sounds cool. What is it? I had no idea. So I had to like Shazam it or whatever. It was like, oh, this is what, <laughs> this is what Pile sounds like. This mm-hmm. is pretty cool. And yeah. I knew they were popular. Yeah pretty big thing around here. Yeah. So, but like, why didn't I know that? Because mm-hmm. it's because I'm out of, out, of, out of touch to some extent.
0: I mean, I think there's still bands that play. Mm-hmm. I don't know who they are and I, and I don't know that the scene is nearly as tight-knit as it was in your day. How can you be sure? Though?
1: How can one be sure? Only
0: because I'm an old man now. That's and, right. And I, I want it to be like that.
1: <laughs> you would want it to be like
0: no, that? No, I don't. I don't, but I'm just saying that uh, I'm not in touch anymore. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'm fucking forty years old. I you know? hear you. Like, right. Um, honestly, I look at a show listing. Yeah. Rarely, but yeah. when I do, I don't fucking recognize anything that's going Yeah, on, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. And it's not like you know when when I was when I was younger in my twenties, like we just we would hang the fucking Middle East calendar up on yeah. the fucking refrigerator right. and just put a put a box yeah. around every yeah. show, and it was usually like two or three shows a week. Yeah. that we want to fucking, We didn't go to all of them.
1: Yeah. But, but you could have. You could
0: have,
1: yeah. You know, somebody's posting on Facebook every now and then, here's the Middle East calendar from 90, May of 97. Really? Who's doing that? Uh, Margo. Margot Edwards, you know oh, her? Oh, shit. Yeah, she she hadn't been, not recently. But it's just like, holy fuck, look at all these bands <laughs> for five, six bucks.
0: Uh, yes.
1: You know, Jesus, it just seems perfect. But I, I, I just feel like you can never be sure mm-hmm. about it because I don't think there's, like, an old person alive who doesn't think that the music of their 20s was the best music ever made. Sure. Right? You know, yeah, so yeah. you have to have all these things in perspective. And frankly, often I think about Talia, too, who's 10 years older at least than me, mm-hmm. and she's at shows a lot. She's always practicing, always...
0: Was, when I interviewed her that night, she was
1: going to a show after... Yeah. Yeah. and I was like so, I'm going home she's a she's a scenester man I mean wow. she's still doing the work that sort of like your community requires mm-hmm. is just be going out and um, that kind of thing so you know that speaks to our perhaps
0: <laughs>
1: reflective or inward facing uh, attitudes white man <laughs> yeah. syndrome could be could be yeah but yeah I don't know I don't know it's I don't know how we got off on this um on our little diatribe here like, alright kids today yeah
0: more it's or not, less I not mean, that's, like that's it used to be yeah
1: I know I know uh so like no we were talking about doing session work oh could I go to Nashville well so like I said I've been sort of down on Boston yep because like particularly what's sort of ha- like I'm seeing this neighborhood which is where I live for now 20 years it's in this neighborhood right yeah now. yeah in Austin Brighton mhm and you know, you to me at that time when I was twenty or whatever, it seemed like this, you know, edgy neighborhood where you, dirty. you know you may see Talia Zedek walking yeah. around, you know, sure. or somebody. And now it's like every every fucking corner is the same. Like up at the top of Everett Street here, like there's hundreds of these little apartment the buildings, fucking new
0: condos, like little one over here, the one on
1: the corner on yeah, then- at the corner at. Well, the one at the corner, I mean, frankly, this whole building is going, going to be a condo. Is going to be... And this whole stop and shop, is going, they're going to level it. That whole project is fucked. I've yeah. been to a couple of those meetings, actually, about that, because they want to put in high-rises, all kinds of crazy fucking shit. Yeah. Just gentrifying this neighborhood to to make it look, you know, like... It used to be Alston Rock City, man. All the rock bands lived out here. And do even they, in... They,
0: do they talk about that? Because I, t- I talked. Do you know Jen Turpin?
1: Uh, I know that name. Adam Brilla? Yeah, umbrella.
0: yeah. Uh, she um, she goes to the meetings mm-hmm. too, and uh, I interviewed. Her. Also Brighton. Yeah, I interviewed her for the podcast, and uh, she talks about the meetings. Just wondering, do you think that you do you ever talk during them? Like, do you?
1: No, I haven't. My girlfriend is on the IAG for the Stop and Shop, or was on the IAG, which is the Impact Advisory Group. So it's like a group of maybe fourteen community members that they pick to review, like, the thick-ass book that the developers... So she's at all of these meetings all the time, and then she further goes to the me- other meetings as a representation of um, Anissa Asabi-George, who's a city councilor at large mm-hmm. for city of Boston. So she's definitely way more active as far as Alston Brighton stuff than I am. As, as she will talk, and she knows all the wackos that go to these meetings. There's a lot... I mean, it's a whole culture of, like... You know local politics activists do they what do they have to say when you talk about the the artist is going to be lost if, you know frankly that doesn't come up a lot really <laughs> at least the, i again i have not been to many of these meetings okay. it does come up you know that
0: there's gonna be no place for the left for them because you know i mean obviously you were talking about 300 dollars for rent back yeah, in yeah, yeah 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 Yeah. different here yeah it was different obviously I mean, everywhere but, it was cheaper yeah and i think the first time i moved out of my house uh, Out of my parents' house I was paying three twenty five yeah you know? yeah, and then you know even up in Watertown, I was paying like three fifty
1: yeah, cheap, cheap, cheap and yeah. like so and that was like in the two thousands, yeah I mean um, I paid three hundred and twelve dollars a month up until two thousand five which was and then I'd moved my girlfriend at the time moved in with us, so that bumped us down to under three hundred like two seventy five mm-hmm. just for being stuffed in there. Just,
0: I mean, no one's going to be able to afford to live here
1: anymore. I I know, and yeah, it's... So, that kind of, like, that feeling is like, oh, well, maybe I should, like, try and find a band in New York, or, like, you mentioned Nashville. And, you know, kind of, I don't know, it's like... I mean, I do have other concerns, legitimate reasons why I can't leave, because I have two children who live in... You know, who I see on weekends but live in southern New Hampshire, and I'm trying to maintain a relationship with them as well as deal with their mom and Mm -hmm. get involved in their schooling. And my girlfriend is not going anywhere either because she has two kids in school in Mm Alston. So, like, those are real reasons why I don't actually think about that kind of stuff too much because it's kind of might be out of reach. But it is interesting to think about, well, could I go and be a session guy in Nashville? Like, I don't know.
0: Like, I've asked, I asked Dave, do you know Dave Norton? Yeah. I asked Dave Norton the same question.
1: Like, what was his answer?
0: And he and he was like, I could do that, but, you know, I love where I live. Yeah. But the thing is, like, I, and I don't, honestly, I don't have no idea how it really works for the fucking life. Well,
1: I also kind of don't.
0: Yeah. But I've been like, could you go down there? I guess the real thing is, like, you'd have to get an agent. Or, go down there and try to, with an try to,
1: try to cultivate
0: You know, getting getting to know the people down there, so they ask you to do it, or getting a name for yourself.
1: But like, you got to do all the things they tell you to do. You got to go network. You got to go to the gigs. You got to go to the show. I mean, there's a basketball game on. I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) You know, at this point, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Celtics, man. Celtics are playing. You know, the Sixers or whatever. It's a big one. I've got to go get invested in these millionaires playing a children's game. <laughs> you know, I have priorities. Motherfucker. <laughs> right, this is important to my life. It's like I'm on the team. I don't know. I just it's fuck,
0: man. People, you know, especially you know, like I think you, you and Dave Norton are like in the same category of like really tight, serious, like
1: hardcore drummers who could probably play anything they wanted to, right? Well, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard for me to say yes to that. I'd like to think that was the case, but. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was thinking about something I'd heard on a, another podcast or something about studies that they had done with people who watch YouTube videos. Like, they put these people in a video, and you're going to watch this YouTube video about of this expert doing this thing, and you're going to watch it for so long. You're going to watch it for this amount of time. The other people, they, like, just talk to them about whatever the field was that these people... All the people that watched the videos had a much higher confidence rate that they themselves could then go and do that thing. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> you know, and that's just them sitting there watching and saying, "I could do, I could do this." Like I, but until you're actually fucking trying to do it, like it's way different. I mean, that's gone on in my head many times really? with music, like. Just like, oh, okay, I'm gonna listen to this tune a bunch of times, and then I'm gonna play it, maybe, or I gotta learn this song to go play, it, try and play it with these guys. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening, I'm listening, like I got this, like this isn't that hard. But when you sit down to fucking do it, it's still harder than imagining. Oh, for sure. doing, I'm doing it,
0: for sure. <laughs> you know? I was like uh, two weeks ago. I was like, I'm gonna learn every song on on the beach. Oh yeah. And then yeah. I went to go and do it, and I was like, this is harder than I thought. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> and then I was like. Even the song "On the Beach," like the solo, is like so complicated. Yeah, it sounds so simple.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know? Uh That's the magic of it, right? Yeah, it is. So I, you know, I don't know. I would like to think that, sure, I could go do a session, do session work But I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously, I don't know you, but I, you know
0: anybody who needs a session guy? <laughs> that's the thing. Like I, I, feel like there has to be a process. Like I know guys who, like I know a couple guys out in L.A. who look for session guys, you know, stuff like that. Yeah yeah but uh, yeah I think it's the problem is that there is a lot of schmoozing which I fucking cannot do I can't fucking like that was one of the, yeah. one thing I always talk about with the, especially with other people it's like um, and I don't know if it's a Boston thing or if it's just a show thing like people coming after you like bands you're playing with they're like oh man your set was so fucking good and I'm like oh cool thanks and then they want me to like reciprocate and I'm like I don't don't really like your band yeah 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 (laughs) so I'm not but I'll tell you I'll be like
1: yeah cool it was good yeah thanks yeah 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 that's that's acceptable yeah sure me and Mahmood I think Mahmood Mahmood maybe my other roommates we had this joke like you know if someone came on home and said yeah the band they were really nice guys that was like code for like their band sucks (laughs) you know (laughs) you know what I mean oh shit finding the finding the Positive in something.
0: Yeah, those guys were really sweet.
1: They were really cool. But they were really cool. Their guys. music was horrendously. So you don't even have to say that. You just <laughs> say they they were cool guys. You're like, oh, I got gotcha. uh, you. Okay. But it's like, shit. you know, er, er, everything. Yeah, kind of sounded like Fugazi. You know? <laughs> did you get that shit a lot? Um. Yeah. Yeah. To some extent. I mean, we certainly did not. I think did not. For your most trained years most normal ears would say yeah they don't sound like Fugazi no and I never
0: understood the comparison really
1: now the I remember I was just again reading about the anecdote of how Hoover sounded so much like Fugazi at least to people's ears at that time and I think there was some rumor that like Jeff Nelson of Discord was like god they sound so much like fucking Fugazi they sound
0: like DC do we
1: want to put it out that they sound so much like Fugazi yeah um but um yeah, no, we didn't I we didn't get that a lot. I don't know who people said we sounded like. You know, the, the journalists or whatever be like, Oh, they sound like fucking Steely Dan. Oh yeah, I remember like, reading that. No, we don't sound like Steely Dan either. And at the time I really did not like Steely Dan. Now you do? I'm into Steely Dan I don't like it used to it used to be one of those things was I sort of cringe every time I heard Steely Dan so I was like what is this it's so fucking weird that's how I felt the first time I heard the Beatles as a child I was like this music's terrible what record did you listen I don't remember yeah. I don't remember I mean I was into like Men like at I could, War yeah I could something.
0: see like starting Pepper sounding weird maybe the first time heard it yeah the
1: whole fucking they just sounded like this is the weirdest sounding music I've mm-hmm. ever I didn't like it
0: you were listening to Cargo, though, instead.
1: Oh, Man at Work? Yeah. Cargo's got a good song or two on it, yeah, I think. Sure. Doesn't it? Yeah, it's all right. It's got, it, has, well, it has one hit. Which one? Is it what Overkill?
0: Song it is. Fuck, I don't remember. I mean, I have both the records. Yeah. The first record had two hits, and then maybe have like the one. The first
1: record was jam packed with hits. <laughs> it was all hits. <laughs> what
0: do you even It was, what you it was
1: about <laughs> Man Down Under or Down Under? Yeah, sure. Um,. God.
0: Oh, God.
1: The fucking, rim- the, what is it? The the, the the drum at the beginning of that. Is that Man Down Under? Or I come Land Down Under? That's Down Under, yeah. Land Down Under? Something about, oh, Be Good Johnny? That wasn't a hit, though. There's another huge hit on Yeah, what the fuck is it? I forget.
0: Fuck. Certainly wasn't Down Under,
1: though. There was a song called Overkill. Mm-hmm. That was either on that record or the second no, one, second. which is a great fucking song.
0: Great Did you ever song. See him like, like, in and like of itself. Solo
1: shit? No, I, I it went never. and saw a man at work at the Paradise though when they reformed. And really? Yes. I heard his I just solo thing; that. like it's amazing. The guy is a great songwriter. Yeah, I mean he's great. Land Down Under is a goofy ass song. I love that song, but you still don't. It's, it's one, it's one of those that eighty song songs that like you
0: never like it's you'll never forget it.
1: That was so fucking huge. That song gigantic. God, so it's this killing me though. The other songs on "Business as Usual." <laughs> you know who's gonna know this answer? Right now, Mahmood. Mahmood. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my fucking phone. Look. What are you uh, So, what have you been doing for work?
1: We can, we can get into that. That's my least favorite topic at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I had been um, uh, affiliated with a music school for seven or eight years. Doing what, just teaching? Well, I was brought on to run their summer camps
0: because
1: mm-hmm. I'd actually had experience doing these overnight music rock camps for a couple of years. One was in San Diego. I sort of went to one in San Francisco for a little while, New York, and then in like South Shore, kind of Stoughton area, not South Shore, but yeah. South here. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, at the time, really, it was really cool for me in a you know, professional capacity because it was like a leadership thing. And um, I was qualified for it because karate had just finished. And I was like, I know how to play in a band. Like, I can teach these kids how to... Um, I met some really fucking cool people. Ooh. Like, counselors that yeah. were just doing it. Um, lifelong friend now, this guy named Jeff enters bloom
0: mm-hmm.
1: who was in a band called small brown bike oh yeah and now is in a band called la pesh huh. and he was just in town they opened for Jawbox at the sinclair were you at the show did i, I see that, that? that yeah. yeah so he was the drummer in the first band i don't know if you saw the first band um a woman named Frances quinlan who plays in a band called hop along which is like kind of a big band yeah. now um she and her brother like super talented um and they, their band does really well. Like, I saw them at the Roxy and shit. Damn, They, they were, like, doing well. Hmm. And a, a couple other, a handful of these other, like, people who, it turned out, like, when you talk, to, when I would talk to them, it was like, oh, you know so-and-so? Okay, you know, and they would sort of know karate, or I would know small brown, small brown bike, or, so it was really cool, and it was all like, okay, here's another group of, <laughs> these are my kind of misfits, they're working at a fucking rock camp overnight, you know, for two weeks or four weeks or whatever it was. So anyway, I did that for a couple summers. And then um, because of that experience, I started doing those camps on a day basis at a school, at a music school, like a startup private thing Mm -hmm. in Burlington, Mass. And I did that for a couple summers. And then as I was doing that, I was transitioning into daytime, like year round, like private teaching. Um, but then sort of because of the management experience that came with running these camps, like the, the boss put me and another guy in charge of all the profit and loss and all oh, the, shit, yeah. all the things. You
0: don't so. want to be involved in that shit.
1: Well, I did want to be involved really? in it because frankly I was invested in like growing this camp because there was bonuses involved for me based okay. on enrollment and, and, and gross revenues and stuff like that or profits really. But anyway, so I was investing in I was interested to learn about like a p and l and like how you run a business run a business yeah not to say that I now can run a business but I did learn more than I, I knew knew no now more than I knew then about mm-hmm. that kind of stuff I then transitioned into sort of being a manager of the school there and sort of running a number of different you know just office type things there Man, again managing managing various aspects of the school, um, or at least being a co-manager of various aspects of the school. So I worked um, in that capacity there for a while. I got bored of the teaching things, I don't want to teach anymore. Okay, well just do this, you know, just do this other thing. And then I did that for a while, and I started to get bored of that, and they were nice enough to say, well, why don't you work from home doing this job? Because they actually, I was working in a a very customer-forward position, Mm -hmm. which, as I was getting more tired of that, my customer face was deteriorating. Losing your, I was losing my shine as a customer service person. I wasn't really done any customer
0: service beforehand.
1: Well, I wasn't. It's funny because it was not only it was customer service, but it was accounts receiv. It was like all of these things I had to do, right? And oftentimes, I could never do one of them very conscientiously because I'd get pulled away to do some other mm-hmm. thing. Like, why don't you call these people that owe us money and like collect money from them, or why don't you see if you can Jesus. like give a tour of the school and tell them our history, or you know, sign them up for some lessons with this particular teacher, or or, or why don't you run this ensemble of twelve-year-olds and you know? So it's doing a lot, and I felt like. I did some of it well, not all of it well. But after a while, I got tired of all this and my boss was so cool. He was like, well, why don't you go work from home? You can, you know, you got a kid now and you can, you can still do the, this part of your job, which is computer and phone stuff. Mm -hmm. You can still access the scheduler, you can still access all the account, the financial stuff and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. So I did that for another like two years. And I started to not like that either because, after a while, I would get distracted. I'd be like, I'm gonna go play guitar because work is a little slow. Oh, now work is back. Oh, I'm gonna play. Gu- oh, I'm gonna do something. You know, it's like, am I really working? You know, it's like I don't really feel like I'm working very hard, and they don't. And nobody knows. You know? <laughs> so I it didn't. I didn't. Didn't really feel good. I wasn't engaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then. At that point, you know, then it was like this is this was up and, down. and then E was going to go do its first European tour, and I hadn't really done any long tours in a long ass time, at least since I'd been employed by this company. Yeah, and I was like, fuck it, I'm, I'm I have to go on. I'm, I'm going to go away. What years this was it. This was like 2000, early 2017, so not that long ago. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I'm gonna go do this tour. I'm like, I don't know, you know. I asked for, I got a raise, and then I was like, I'm gonna go do this tour. (laughs) I'm leaving, see ya. And they they were like, okay, that's cool. Let's assess when you get back. So when I got back, I again switched roles to this totally other part of the company that was starting up, which was, at the time, it was assisting and sort of collaborating with other organizations that provided resources to the non-neurotypical population. Okay. So there were music lessons that we were providing with community partners to veterans with PTSD or like schools that specialized in providing services for autism mm-hmm. um, or uh, brain injury, this type of thing. So, what I was doing then was coordinating with these community partners and negotiating a contract that they would have with us for us to provide a music. Music teachers for these classes that we were providing for these populations of people. What is involved in negotiating that stuff? Um, it's just logistics and yeah. stuff and telling them our price. And occasionally there was a couple of groups that we'd have to sort of wrangle with for, for price. Because yeah. the problem is, like those organizations are generally usually strapped for money, also. Right. You know, they're hard pressed to provide the services for their populations, uh, let alone pay for an outside private thing. And it was also interesting to me too because the teachers that would go do this type of work were like, you know, holy people doing incredibly difficult teaching work. You know, not you're not teaching, not talking about trying to give teach a band of high-functioning 12-year-olds how to play Green Day. I mean, it was like, you know, it's not that. It's like much harder. But I was not teaching. I was just doing this logistics stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was driving me insane. So but then when E went on tour I, I just wasn't involved. I was also a lot of working at home. I'd go in for meetings or occasionally go to one of these community partners places. Yeah. But I was working a lot at home and it's it was because this part of the company was a startup, essentially, it wasn't always busy and I would run out of things to do and I'd be fucking bored and I'd be at home in like the middle of a Wednesday going what am I supposed to be fucking doing? So part of the time I was really playing a lot of guitar and like I'm gonna write this solo record and show yeah. show my ex-wife that I really can do this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll show her. Yeah, I'll show her.
0: You're, you're gonna <laughs> <laughs>
1: all the song will be about her. Um, so then I I left the job about a year ago and it was like fuck. That I can't do it anymore. I'm gonna go on tour again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, you know, I gotta, I gotta do something else. you just tired of it. I was just tired of that particular place. I really did. In hindsight, also at the time, liked the people I was working with.
0: Yeah, but like I think something that I don't think a lot of people think of, maybe they do, because because I don't work from home, but like yeah. my wife did for a while. Yeah. And she worked for the same company I worked for for like two or three years, and. Like I could see the life force draining out of her Like a little bit every day mm-hmm. Like just being home by yourself. Yeah No interaction with, Except for fucking me like, Yeah For Christ's sakes Yeah You know at the end of the day you, I think a lot of people are running into that same issue
1: You think it's like gonna be
0: great It's said, Yeah like It's gonna fuck. be great I don't have to
1: go anywhere But then but you you're at home
0: and you're like you're yeah. just, How do you motivate yourself
1: Oh, I couldn't do it after a while. I was like pretending I was working because, frankly, it was also a flaw with the company. Yeah. Because there should be work for me to be doing. If you're paying me, you know, I would I, think. Uh, yeah, I mean, if yeah. if I was running a company and you're not working and I'm paying you, like I'd be saying, "Why am I paying you?" And, you know, I would downsize because the company's number one liability is its employees. That's where the overhead is. Yep. And that's the most expensive thing often, and. So does this branch of the company still exist? So I have no idea yeah, no, yeah. because I so left. So
0: what did, you, what did you end up... Well, with? I was
1: like, fuck it, I have... I'm, I have a leftover... i am been in a really fortunate situation where I got to keep my house after my divorce so I had, like, suddenly more space than I used So I'm going to fucking rent it out, half of it, oh. as an Airbnb and see if I can pay the bills that way. How'd it work? It's working and it's... And I... So I keep telling him, well, i got to find a regular thing so I can... Stay up to speed, but I have yet to do that, and I kind of feel like it's getting gonna get hard. Like I'm not sure. Like what am I gonna do now? Like, and then I'm like, what was, what was, what was I thinking? Leaving this this perfectly (laughs) fitted suited company that I was at, Um, and then like, then I'm like, oh well, fuck. Now Jason moved out of town. Like, no, and Talia, she'd be touring all the time, and I would still do that if Jason was available to write tunes to keep up with mm-hmm. that. So I've kind of, as far as work, I'm sort of in a weird purgatory, which is luckily I'm not going broke, but um, now I share my house with strangers for money. Yeah. It's weird.
0: <laughs> it sounds so perverse when you say it like that. Yeah, well that's what I it is. I share my house with strangers I for do. money.
1: I share my house <laughs> with strangers for money. Occasionally it's interesting. I'm assuming you're not putting in <laughs> to this. We can take it off. But it sounds weird. It's really fun to play in bands with women, right? It's a different interaction than your regular dudes in a practice space. There's a woman
0: in the band that I'm in now, and I I played with a woman back in the day. Um, Yeah, it's different. It's It's
1: good. It's a different vibe. So we would go back to the Airbnbs after these shows, and we'd be like, Oh, what kind of place are we... And we'd start partying... And the partying was so fun because we're in this strange place and it's not just a bunch of dudes. It's like some women with different perspectives and, you know, really hilarious people. And that was so fun. And God, we went to this one Airbnb in Canada. The decor was like, you know, this Home Goods store here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like they had fucking robbed the Home Goods. <laughs> there was like fake- I think I think a lot
0: of Airbnbs are like that because it's cheap. Oh, it's like Home it, you know. is actually not cheap though.
1: Really? Uh, the furniture like, there is isn't it, ridiculously isn't it like expensive. TJ Maxx or some shit. It's like TJ Maxx. It's all the same shit. And the the idea that it's cheap I'm always like how can this fucking chair be 500 bucks? Like, there's no reason you should pay 500 uh, bucks for this dumbass-looking chair. Yeah. In this Airbnb, it was like, here's this fake, p- fake poinsettias next to this, you know, foam Eiffel Tower painted silver next to like fuck. this Roman the like.
0: What the fuck is that shit? It was so
1: fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Everywhere we were just walking around like, oh, what? Taking these like goofy pictures. The girls in their pajamas next to like a. Plastic Christmas tree in the middle of fucking ape, you know. It was just so hilarious. But you know, and and Brian is renting these Airbnbs that are you know sleeping seven, so they were like pretty big places. Yeah, and you know we don't never saw anybody at any of these places. So that's like one type of Airbnb. It's cool. I took my girlfriend to the Caribbean for a week or five days, and we got an Airbnb in down there, and that was. We saw the owner, but she was in her own little yeah, cabana.
0: Wanna, I'd rather not see anybody, and I'm sure they don't want to see me, you know?
1: Yeah, see, that's what, I, that's what I'm thinking, is, like, I'm staying out of the way. i got to be yeah. conscious about the TV volume or the music volume. Um, so, yeah, just, like, come in. I'll leave you alone, you leave me alone, and i am ping yeah. PayPal my shit to my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> so... But what do you think? You
0: you set? I'm good, man. Thanks for that. Was awesome. Honestly, like it was a little bit more in depth than the last time. Cool.